Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 273 of the Fun with Cars, Formula One, and other motorsports podcasts, or episode 7 of 2021. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man with more tea than sense, Christopher Roche. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. How are you? I'm doing quite well. I have a lovely glass of iced tea in front of me and feeling fine. Oh, it is not warm here in Michigan, and there's about 18 feet of snow outside my window, so you're a braver man than me. Perhaps potentially doubtful that I'm braver, but I am also inside my house, which is much warmer than 18 degrees, Fahrenheit or Celsius. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a day for, for chilled drinks, unless it's... Uh, Alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is coming soon after we finish podcasting. I, well, it is Friday afternoon, February 19th, and today we're going to talk about the latest Formula One news. There's been a couple of car debuts, a couple of car accidents, uh, and a bit of uh, housekeeping to do. However, there is a little bit of showboating that I want to do as well. This is, as you heard at the top, the seventh episode of the year, and it is February 19th. When we did our seventh episode of 2020, it was December 21st. <laughs> so we're we're doing quite well. We're we're on we're on target to actually surpass the number of episodes we did last year, Chris. Assuming we record again within the next ten months, <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be possible. I agree. I think it is within our bandwidth of professionalism that we can get it done. I also wanted to share a bit of news. Uh, Chris is definitely going to be leading. He is much more informed about the latest Formula One news than I am um, because I've been working on a lot of uh, YouTube stuff. As you guys know, I've uh, I've gone freelance, and I've also started my own YouTube channel with car reviews and car news. And uh, the most recent video I did was actually pretty exciting and fun to do. I got uh, advanced information from Porsche and put together a video on the 992 generation Porsche 911 GT3, which has legitimate race car tech because they adopted the front suspension of the 911 RSR, which is their GTE Pro Le Mans competitor, and adapted it to a road car. So the the latest GT3 has 911 RSR Uh, front suspension effectively, which I thought was quite cool. Anyway, so I was kind of wrapped up in that and not as informed in F1 as I'd like to be leading into a podcast. So that being said, Chris, I know about the McLaren launch, but what else has happened? So first of all, I don't think that's a suitable excuse, mate, to not keep your finger on the pulse of Formula One. So you're going to have to try harder as we move through I'm 2021. I'm also <laughs> old and lazy. Did I mention those two things? <laughs> so I think we have to start with Mr. Alonso's uh, crash, don't we? Yes, and that was the car accident I was referring to. He was on his bicycle, of course, but was hit yep. by a car. He was doing a training session in Switzerland, was hit by a car, the rumours that it was driven by Esteban Ocon have been greatly exaggerated. It wasn't Ocon. He spent 48 hours in hospital and he had to have surgery on his upper jaw. But it doesn't uh, seem like it'll, it'll uh, stymie his efforts to rejoin the Formula One circus and he'll be ready for the start of the season. Although whether or not that, uh, that includes pre-season testing, that hasn't been finalised. But it looks like he's planning to to make at least the first race of the year. Well, one 
release I saw, I think it was from Renault, said that he would have the ability to do preseason work as well as compete in the season opener. And I guess because the preseason test is but one test and it is only two weeks before the actual opening race, I think that that's, that seems reasonable to me. That's plausible at the very least. Yeah, I guess it does depend on how he recovers from surgery. And But you don't have to do a great deal of talking in an F1 car, do you, when you're racing it or driving it? So uh, it does seem uh, it's more feasible than if he'd broken a leg or uh, something else that might you know, involve steering or braking or accelerating. The chances of Alonso <laughs> being upset that it's a GP2 engine have been greatly diminished. <laughs> so that is, I guess, a win-win. The curious thing for me is that Alpine, or Renault as they used to be known, um, have no nominated reserve driver and and uh certainly well certainly not one with a with a super license so they would have had to to, to call up probably uh nico hulkenberg or was, someone yep. like that <laughs> <laughs> so i bet he was excited for a few days until, but chris uh, it's not saturday yet <laughs> that's true yeah they wouldn't give him that much notice would exactly they? <laughs> right <laughs> So, so yeah, that's about the excitement of a lot. I mean, I guess the the the, uh, the lesson there is don't train too hard. You know, just uh, try and keep yourself in a reasonable condition uh, well, before I'm, you hit the season. I don't know. I don't. I don't know any details about his condition. But as someone that has broken his jaw, actually, that's not true. I did not break my jaw, but I broke. Uh, I Everything broke, else. <laughs> I broke. Yeah, I broke my face that held my jaw together, and. I had my jaw wired shut for six weeks, and even with it wired shut, it actually wasn't that hard to go about day-by-day things that obviously for me didn't involve opening my mouth, but uh, but the, the, driving the, a Formula car doesn't require that. So that, that was wired shut in relation to the incident on the bridge, not some terrible podcast had a listener having <laughs> That's right, right. particular effects. Everyone knows, everyone knows the dreaded episode 195. Whew, that was a rough one. No, that was, yes, of course, that was uh, related to my, uh, that was related to my big accident uh, a few years ago, eight years ago. So anyway, yeah, so he, it, it was really big news when it happened because there was an initial bit of unknown and there were question marks about his health and his wellness but it does seem to have calmed way down and it's not it's still certainly there's question marks for Alonso especially since he's one of the oldest drivers on the grid now but uh, it seems like there's a lot less to worry about than there would have been Uh, like this isn't it could have turned into like a Robert Kubica rally accident type of story and we're all I think everyone's very thankful that it's not that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I did find an interesting series about Alonso on uh, Prime, I think it is. And uh, if if anyone was in any doubt how committed he is to his racing, it's worth a look. It's, um, it's mostly in Spanish, so you do have to uh, be willing to read some subtitles. And it basically follows his exploits sort of between his Formula One holiday, shall we call it, and so we see him, um, you know, on the Paris-Dakar rally. We see him at Le Mans. We see him at, in the uh, Indy 500 efforts. It's really fascinating. But the guy is 100% committed to his racing. And uh, he's always on it. I mean, he's, he was, you know, he's, it just seems to be a never-ending series of either 
working to get fitter to race or racing something or you know it, it he just never switches off never stops so he is massively committed and so i i expect good things when we see him behind the wheel again this season yeah i, I do as well absolutely um getting to a bit more uh uh, sanguine news, I guess mm-hmm. perhaps we'll call it. Uh, McLaren uh, launched its car recently, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. MCL35, and then another team has launched their car. Yeah, so uh, we now have McLaren Mercedes um, to look forward to. Um, it uh, reunites uh, the the engine supplier with with the uh, um, established team that was together for twenty seasons from ninety five to two thousand fourteen. Uh, and won four championships together. So it's exciting to see them back on the grid. Um, and, and that was uh, uh, Mika Hakkinen, 98, 99. And, and David Coulthard, of course. Don't forget David. Well, The perennial second placer. No, no, no. I, I thought we were talking about championships. I'm, <laughs> You're right. That's um, right, yeah. Uh, so Mika Hakkinen, 98, 99. And yep. then uh, obviously Hamilton in uh, 08. Uh, who am mm-hmm. I forgetting? That's three. Oh, no. So it was four championships, three drivers, one constructors. Ah, gotcha. Understood. Okay. So uh, they 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 uh, managed, they recorded McLaren's last win together back in 2012 when uh, Jensen Button drove in the Brazilian Grand Prix. And they actually got 78 wins together. So should we be as excited about McLaren Mercedes as we were about McLaren Honda? Or are we hoping this goes <laughs> rather better? You know, I, th- I have a feeling it is going to go rather better. To be honest, and uh, the reason why is that there was a whole lot of weird uh, anticipation about the McLaren Honda reuniting that just kind of misguided expectations, and also that was the end of Ron Dennis's tenure as the uh, proprietor of McLaren and uh, the things he did, but also. Mercedes is an, an established, very capable power unit provider, and uh, McLaren has rebuilt itself to be a high-level mid-pack team uh, again, and this will only help them go forward. You know, they had to align with the rules, rule changes that cut downforce just like everybody else did, but they're getting what has to be considered an upgrade in powertrain. Uh, with this and uh, they have momentum to work with and they had a little bit of extra budget because of the third place in the constructors so I think they've got a lot of good going for them and they have Daniel Ricardo as well in addition to Lando yeah so so um, but focusing on the car a little bit more I mean the interesting thing is yeah, there's there's a few new rules for this season as we touched on in the last podcast um, it is a bit that of a spot two podcasts ago actually the, I, uh, thank you for the correction and, uh, <laughs> so it is a bit of a spot the difference competition uh, the most obvious is if you look at the, the, the car from a plan view you can see the, the change in the shape of the floor so yeah. the floor is now being trimmed away in front of the uh, the rear wheels and, and they're, they're also a lot less fussy so you'll see a lot less slots and and features in the floor, um, but other than that, it is it is a tricky uh, a task to really spot the new car. The, you know, there's a little bit of different paint, and <laughs> but other, other than that, there is a lot of carryover. Um, McLaren are claiming that just under fifty percent of the car is new, um, and the total car is seventy five thousand parts. So they have been busy, but it is hard to uh, to spot it. It looks good. It looks clean, um, and uh, let's hope it's quick. 
they, they're claiming they're claiming that the that the uh, upgrade from the Renault engine uh, has helped a little bit on the packaging because of the, the way that the turbo is in, uh, is designed on the Mercedes versus the Renault. And it looks like the car's a little bit longer, probably to help claw back some of the downforce loss from the floor changes. But that's, those are the big, big differences. I guess this one notable point is that it, this is James Key's first, I think, full chassis with McLaren. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what he's able to do. Uh, and then I guess, you know, it's been a while since Andreas Seidel's been in charge as the team principal. So these two are really being able to put a stamp on a car for the first time, I think. Is that entirely fair to call that uh, his first? Because this is this is a B car. It's not it's not a clean sheet of paper new car because it can't be per the rules. So it's his first full season car with an upgrade, but it's not it's not a new car truly. True, you know that's fair enough. I mean, I guess we'll have to wait till twenty two to see a, a truly new car. But it'll it'll have been something that he's had more influence over I would think sure of course than, than, of course than the 34 and yeah. I certainly don't mean to I don't say that to diminish your point uh but uh, I just think that that's an important caveat to bear in mind uh, absolutely yeah absolutely so, so there yeah, was yeah, also the, the alpha well, just, uh, oh sorry just please, before we move on I mean the so you mentioned about Danny Rick and the the other interesting thing is McLaren launched the car on the 15th and then they ran it at Silverstone for one of their filming days on the 16th, so there's a little bit of footage of the car running. So they didn't seem to have any issues, so it it's, uh, hit the ground running, uh, which is very promising. And there's some great videos of Daniel Ricciardo getting his seat fitting and some, some sort of behind-the-scenes the footage of him meeting the team, uh, for those that are interested. And, you know, he's his usual effervescent, smiley, happy self. So it's uh, it looks like it's going to be a good uh, marriage from initial impressions anyway. Yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, I, I will say I've I've been lucky to drive several Mercedes press cars um, throughout my years as a journalist, and every single one of them have started right up for me too. So I'm glad that McLaren had similar trouble-free running. <laughs> um, so AlphaTauri also uh, launched their car. Uh, what do you right. think of that one? Yeah, again, it's quite similar to their their last uh, challenge of the ATO one. Uh, this well, one is the two. Different paint scheme, though, isn't it? Oh, it is slightly more blue. Well spotted. Yes. There you go. <laughs> I, now, is blue faster? I, I'm, I don't remember. <laughs> so they, they have a new nose and a new front suspension. And the interesting point for me was that they did decide to carry over essentially the rear end um, from last year's chassis, which was the, the rear end of the 19 edition Red Bull or the RB15. And they could have upgraded that to last year's Red Bull rear suspension without using any tokens, but elected not to. So I think you know, it, it indicates that although it is the junior team of the Red Bull organization, they are they do have their own sort of uh, development direction in mind. And mm-hmm. um, so they're, they're not just a last year's Red Bull operation. They're a bit more, they should be taken a bit more seriously than that. They are looking to be top of the midfield consistently apparently and so one of the key goals was to make the car well, the, operate the, the quote i see was consistently be at the top of the, of the midfield, midfield. Yeah, yeah right which right. is an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting way to frame it well i think i think it's i mean that that was friends toss the, the the team principal i mean i think there were times last season where they were clearly 
the third quickest car. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it was it was rarely right. And then there were other weekends where they sort of slipped back to the the, the back end of the midfield and, and were only a little bit quicker than the than the Alfa Romeo has and Williams battle. So uh, it looks like they're trying to make the vehicle more capable in on different tracks and have a what they're describing as a wider aero operating window so it's less sensitive and they can set it up well and, and be competitive at all the tracks so that that's their main goal for this year and i i mean obviously the rear end of the car is hugely important but if you had to if you had to pick i mean the front end is always the beginning of the conversation between the car and the air if you can only pick one half of the car to develop, I think the front end is the one that makes the most sense, unless you had a fundamental issue with your rear end, don't you think? Just like <laughs> intuitively, that makes sense to me. I think if you only have two wheels, you're basically a bike racer, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. But, I, I uh, think, I think but you know, is great, I will say again. <laughs> I think all it, all it strikes for me is that they are confident enough and with their with their technical director Jody Eggington to go their own way right they're not just blindly following what the what the the uh, the lead team has been doing which which is good and i think i mean there were some i mean they were ahead of the second red bull at times last season right so they they're certainly competitive and of course they've got Sonoda in the car as we mm-hmm. talked about yes. and there's been some there's been some press this week saying how um, he could surprise a lot of people that he showed really good pace uh, last, certainly in the second half of last year's F2 championship. And in fact, that he was actually probably one of the quickest F2 drivers. Once he once he got settled uh, after the first few races, he pretty much outperformed most of the other drivers, is the claim. So, um, you know, and he, he's only decided to do one season in F2 and obviously he's taken the chance to move up. So I think once he, uh, once he gets... Uh, his feet under the rug, he, he could surprise, uh, certainly Pierre. So it'd be interesting to see what goes on there. Yeah, absolutely right. So what else in the Formula One world has caught your eye since we last spoke? Yeah, the, so the, the, the other big news, which again is more for the technically minded uh, uh, listeners, is the fact that Red Bull managed to agree uh, the deal to take over Honda's power unit. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yes, yes. So first of all, the, the agreement was made that the the power units will be frozen uh, from the start of 22 to the end of 24. So obviously that then facilitated uh, that deal. And and so obviously that keeps, it doesn't really keep Honda in Formula One, but it does keep some of the Honda technical team and certainly their their power units uh, in the sport, which is great. It means that Red Bull basically becomes a fully fledged uh, manufacturer, right? So they'll be doing their own chassis and powertrains in-house out of their Milton Keynes base. They're going to grow their organization, they've created something called Red Bull Powertrain Limited. They will be taking on some of the Honda F1 staff, and it's being rumored that they may even design their own engine from 25 once the new regs have been finalized. And that would be huge. I mean, that would mean we would have... That's also ambitious. Oh, it's massively ambitious, but it allows them to control their own destiny. It means that they don't have to get back into bed with Renault, which they really didn't want to do. No, no. Uh, Renault, Renault is a cruel mistress as far as uh, Red Bull is concerned. <laughs> and they weren't fooled by the name change either. So they, uh, uh, I mean, they will have to supply if another team in Formula One, uh, whether it's one of the existing teams or a new entrant, wants 
powertrains, then they would actually be on the hook to supply them. So it's not just for Red Bull and Alpha Tori. They will they will be eligible to supply other other teams uh, upon request. So it's an interesting deal. I think it's it's exciting. I mean, obviously, it'll allow them to to further enhance the integration between the powertrain and the chassis uh, potentially. Certainly, if they if they do the, go that way in twenty five. So, um, you know, it, it gives them maybe a better chance of fighting with Mercedes uh, over the next few seasons, potentially. Well, I have to say that I think it is a bold, a bold move. It's ambitious, but it is also potentially perfect timing. The fact that engine regs are being frozen 22-24, just as you said, I have a really large suspicion it's going to be, in my mind, it's nigh impossible that the power unit rules will be more complicated in 25 than they have been since 14, and that there's going to be some desire to streamline this and to definitely increase the electric side of the powertrain and decrease the internal combustion engine side of the powertrain. Obviously, it's not that too distant of a future that Formula One power is electric power as is most everything else in the automotive world. So, you know, there was the news of, uh, I think you might have even been the one, one of the people that told me about it, but I've, I've seen it on the news. Jaguar is going all electric from 25. So as we're getting this huge momentum change to electric powertrains across the globe, Formula One, of course, is going to have to be a part of that. So... My point is is that this could be excellent timing to get in as internal combustion engines phase out. They can capitalize and be at the forefront of the technology. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the, the regs haven't been finalized yet, but the rumors are that it'll have 100% sustainable fuels. So the engines will be cleaner from that perspective. They'll have a bigger energy recovery system on them. They, they, they want to make them cheaper, so maybe a little bit less complex. You're, you're right. I mean, it, it does seem like perfect timing. And, you know, we'll keep Ferrari, Renault and, and Mercedes honest as well with another, you know, competitor in the sport, which is good. I, you know, in lieu of keeping Honda, I think this is the next best uh, solution, really. Well, yeah, this is this is almost like a B chassis of sorts in the in the engine world. It's like, well, it's not Honda, but it's the next best thing. Well, yeah, I mean, Mugen, what used to be the old Honda engines sold to, to customer teams, right? And they ran those as Mugens that mm-hmm. was back in the day in the 90s. Um, other news, I guess Portimao has been confirmed as the third race of the season, so that's good. We all that is very good. Yes, quite and, happy for that. And then uh, another car hit the track. The Williams FW43B uh, was actually run at Silverstone on the, on the 17th. But the, they were the very... Frank Williams FW, uh, the, the Frank Williams 43B, which is, it's very nice to be able to say that, but also it does feel a touch empty since Frank Williams is no longer associated with the team. I think uh, I think that whole organization still, you know, has his uh, imprint on it, right? So it'll take a while to lose to lose that. I, I have no problem with keeping that uh, legacy. Oh, le- I, I I don't either. It just it just does feel a little. It it just leaves maybe like a bad aftertaste in my mouth a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, because it's still called Williams. There's obviously the legacies there. It's less than a year old that that's the case. But it is a new organization now, and that's – so I don't know. It just feels a touch hollow. 
I guess, um, but on the positive side, uh, you know, they, they didn't show any images of the car. Um, and, and the rumours are that that's because their sponsorship for uh, this season hasn't been finalised. And it, mm. it sounds like they and Haz are in the running to pinch the, uh, the BWT, the beautiful pink sponsorship that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Racing yes. Point ran last season. And so when they officially launch the car in March, we might see a few new sponsors on the car, which would be, which would be fantastic, right? Williams needs, needs money to, to climb up the, the order. And so that'll Absolutely. help if, if they secure that deal. The other, the other thing I just wanted to, to touch on was there was this fast, part of the McLaren launch. One of the fascinating tidbit that came out was um, in their interests, teams are talking about how they're trying to get under this budget cap of $145 million, which we, we, we touched on a couple of episodes ago. The, one of McLaren's solutions is that instead of buying one set of garage equipment, and then flying it to all the races, they're buying five sets of equipment, and they're going to sea ship it around the world. And apparently, that's cheaper. <laughs> really, really. So, if you're a, if you're a maker of high end uh, racing equipment, timing jacks, you know, air guns, that that type of uh, thing, you're in luck. <laughs> Interesting. That I mean, you know, that is a fascinating point, though. That. It's not just people that have to fly to vast corners of the world to pull off Formula One. It's all that stuff, and it is not a small amount of stuff. So that's a really fascinating point, and that's interesting that the calculus uh, comes to less expensive to have five of everything than one of everything. And and it just highlights that the teams are all going to come up with different ways of approaching this cap, right? And and we're going to see some winners and losers there, I think. Some people would have thought of things that others haven't and vice versa. And, and so that'll be another element to watch this season. Um, I'm sure it'll all, in a few seasons, get to a point where everyone's doing pretty much the same thing. But for, certainly for this year, I think we're going to see some quite different approaches. No, that's an interesting point. And, and it is that, I think that highlights just one of the most beautiful things about Formula One, which is that uh, there's all levels of strategy going on at every level of the sport. And I think it's really fascinating that there is now an economic strategy as well because in many ways, for the big teams at least, finances were more or less an unlimited resource. You just spent what you needed to to get the other strategies done. And now that that's something that is limited and regulated – that that in of itself is if you have a clever way to save money here that means you can spend it more over there and will that trickle down into more performance in the car because you're more clever with your money than the other team that's really fascinating yeah i think it's going to be something something worth watching as the season progresses for sure the only this isn't news but it was a really good article um so if you had to list your top 10 Williams F1 cars, what would they be? Maybe maybe ten's too much, but can you name your your, your all time favorite three Williams chassis over the years? Uh, well, the the fourteen B, of course. Yeah, that one was gorgeous and massively successful. Um, and then so that's I, the chassis from ninety two. Mansell won the championship. They won the drivers and the constructors. Exactly. Right. 10, 10, 10 wins out of I think sixteen races that year. Yep. Exactly. Right. Yep. That one. And then there was. I don't know the name of it, but it was 
It was before they became BMW Sauber. It was Montoya was in the car. It was a BMW V10. They did never become BMW Sauber. I'm sorry, Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Before before BMW left for Sauber. Yep, um, yep. uh, And they had the BMW V10, I think it was 03. That was the FW25, Montoya yeah. and Schumacher. Yeah, they ran yep. Ferrari pretty close that year. Yeah, yep, yeah, that one. And yeah, because not 2002, Ferrari ran away with it. And mm-hmm. then uh, then uh, the 24- Four wins. Four wins that chassis got just... just uh, ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the 2014 car where uh, Felipe Massa had the pole and uh, and they were, they were the quote-unquote best of the rest uh, when Mercedes absolutely ran away with it in 2014. That's an interesting. That was that was the car that uh, they they actually uh, Massa and uh, was it Botas actually managed to lead at Silverstone for a couple uh, yeah, of laps. Yes, Remember they yes, got yes, a lightning yes. start. Yeah, that was, and they they got a few podiums that year. And interestingly, that car doesn't feature on this list of, in front of me. But uh, but you're right. That's a good choice, and it looked very pretty in the Martini sponsorship. Exactly. Uh, yes, it did, and that's a good good point to make. Yeah. But what is your list? So um, I, I guess we'll, we'll count up. So second on this list was the 15C, which was Prost's car from 93. Mm. Uh, that, that also won both championships and 10 wins. And then the third was the 18 from 96 when Hill won the championship. Was the uh, first, was number one, was that the 14B? Of course, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Okay. we can't go with anything. Yeah, yeah. so it starts yeah. with 14B, then the 15C, then the 18. Hill had won... Uh, uh, obviously, the drivers, they won the constructors and, and 12 uh, wins that year uh, with Jack in the other car. Uh, and then fourth place it goes way back to, to the 07, which was actually what fascinated me about this was I'd forgotten how many seasons they used to run chassis back in the day. So the 07 was run in 79, 18, 81, was driven by Jones. Um, and that actually managed to win three championships. <laughs> so it's a pretty good chassis. <laughs> Fifteen yeah. wins o- over the course of those three seasons. Yeah, of course, no, was in the seventies, in the seventies, uh, uh, a single car could go a few years. Absolutely. Yeah, and that uh, that was Williams's first, obviously, uh, constructors' championship victories and, and their first ever drivers' title. So uh, it was a good car. And then the, after that, we uh, we go to to the time when I first met Williams, which was uh, the FW11 in '86 and '87, Mansell and PK with the Honda, and that was it. That was also a great, great car. Uh, that that won 18 races. It was run for two seasons uh, in the B version in '87. With PK won the drivers and uh, the constructors championship. So, and then of course there's the FW19 from '97, which must be your all-time favourite because it's got a Canadian driver, <laughs> <laughs> Jack Wilder behind the wheel. Uh, oh <laughs> yes, and '19, '19 uh, was a is always a good year uh, when you're 19. So that's another reason I like that. So controversially, I thought. Especially in light of your highlighting a very good chassis from recent, more recent times, is that on number eight they put the sixteen down, which is the infamous ninety-four car, in which oh. poor old yeah poor old Ayrton lost uh, lost his life driving yeah. that car. Yeah, uh, and was that that was that was uh, still that was still when we had active suspension, but that was towards the end of it. Correct? No, no, no. That was uh, so. Ninety three was the last year of active, and it all oh, of the okay. all of, okay. yeah all of the aids got banned for ninety four, which was why 
Senna was having such a tough time uh, manhandling it at the start of the season, even though he was exceptionally quick still and was keeping Schumacher honest. Um, yeah, the, the handling of the of the 16 was not good um, because it went back to a passive suspension system and there was sort of some error imbalances. And, oh, and they improved it as the year went on and Hill was able, Hill and Coulthard ran uh, the car for the rest of the season. Well, Mansell actually also in the season finale. So they still managed to win seven races and a, and a Constructors' Championship. So it wasn't all bad. But I think that car will always be remembered for that day at Imola. And so I think many people yeah. have very mixed uh, feelings about yeah. that particular chassis. And uh, at Senna, it did start that race from pole position, I do believe, yeah? so That's right, yeah. yeah. So he, it was he, a quick uh, car, it must be said. Yeah, I mean, he was leading the race when, when he went off at uh, Tamburello. Yeah. So as, as it should have been, really. But, yeah. um, and then number nine. Oh, yeah. So if you want to complete the list, Might the as well. F- FW10 in 1985, that was, um, that was Rosberg and Mansell had four wins. And then number 10 was the 78-79 chassis, the FW06. And so they didn't, they, did, they did, that list did not include anything from the 21st century. Well, just that Montoya-Schumacher chassis. From oh, Montoya. sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Apologies. It's the only one. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, they, they haven't won a championship uh, in the 21st century and very few race wins so it does make sense it's heavily biased to the eight, well 70s 80s and 90s yeah that's that is fair that is fair no that's an interesting article well is there anything else that you want to touch on this is obviously this isn't uh, a Lewis Hamilton contract podcast so there can't be that much to talk about <laughs> <laughs> no I think uh, you know it's, it's good all the ones get back in the news cars are being launched we'll be uh, running next month so uh, it's we're getting there something yeah. to look forward to yeah and there is there is some uh, there's some news coming uh, some IMSA news coming so I might have to get Mr. Mr. Gitlin on the podcast to talk about that a little bit and IndyCar is not far from starting either so uh, the racing season is upon us and it is exciting absolutely thank goodness for that so But uh, for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts. Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fwcars. Chris, thank you so much for the news update. It's good to talk with you. And you, Robin. Thank you. I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye. Goodbye.